Um, on the getup this morning, we have Daniel Bartholomew Poyser. Um, he's the first openly gay black orchestra conductor in Canada. He's also a composer, teacher, and radio host of CBC's Center Stage. Daniel's made headlines for putting a spin on classical music orchestra performance, from bringing a quartet to a women's prison to organizing a drag symphony with Queen Thorgy Thor. Tomorrow, he will be performing with the OBR Ensemble here in Montreal. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, it's great being here with you. Um, I guess, bringing it back in time, can you talk a little bit about your journey into classical music? What drew you to become a conductor? Well, I started off playing piano. I was putting piano lessons uh, dutifully by my mom when I was a kid. And then when I was in junior high school, I was introduced to band Right? And that was probably the introduction to ensemble playing music. I had access to an instrument. Uh, I was given an instrument. You know, was, I think it was like $30 a month or something like that. And I had a tuba. And I just loved playing in band. And then from there, I just, I guess I just didn't stop playing in large ensembles up to, you know, you know rehearsal in half an hour. Um, I just kept on going because I had access to instruments and I had access to music and there were no really barriers in that way put in front of me. So I just loved it. Conducting, I think, is um, it blends a lot of like nerdy research stuff with a lot of performance. I think that's what I really enjoy about it. A lot of time spent studying, a lot of time spent with people. And um, those two sides of the coin are really fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was wondering, because, yeah, you you hear lots of people, I guess, getting into the classical music world, but you don't meet too many conductors. That's true. There's usually only one conductor in a city at a time, unless it's, it's, it's oh. like the Montreal area where there's so many wonderful orchestras, and then there'll be, you know, more of us. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, conducting, you know, one orchestra might have 100 players, but there's only one conductor, ultimately, so there aren't that many of us. We're like ships passing in the night. <laughs> <laughs> good to know, good to know. Um, I guess, how did you get the idea to bring a live classical quartet to a prison and maybe talk a little bit about why it's important to bring classical music to groups that would not normally get to experience it? Well, in terms of the prison, I think I'd ask the question, why not? Like, why aren't more people doing that? I think that's the question. Why aren't more people taking their music to places? Yeah, I'd turn the question around. Why aren't more people taking their uh, music to places that are different or to people who can't come to them? Totally. That's the question I would ask in response to that. Mm -hmm. I think, um, <laughs> I, I like, why prisons? I'm, really, why not? It just seemed kind of self-evident. When I was teaching, I worked for the John Howard Society, which is um, a society that's based on uh, aiming at reducing recidivism for prisons for prisoners, which means like helping them once they get out of jail, not to go back to jail because they don't have the structural supports in their lives often that many of us are privileged to have. So I worked in that sort of environment when I was a teacher. So it was pretty natural for me to think, well, hey, well, why don't we just do an orchestra in a prison and have music for the prisoners? Because maybe when they come out, they'd like to come to the symphony, right? It's not really a big deal. Um, and I think like all these other places that I'm that I'm doing music, it's just not um, sequestering other parts of my life off from my career. Right. So when I was in university, I had friends who worked with neurodivergent people and I thought, well, hey, why don't we have a concert for them? Why don't we work with them? Absolutely. It totally makes sense. And then, you know, being a person of color, um, my Trinidad and Jamaican roots, I don't sequester that off from my career in music. It's not like Bach, Beethoven are, are separate for me necessarily from um, reggae and Beyonce. We can have them all in one concert if we're doing, you know, music about singing or music about dancing. So, you know, it's just about, it's just about not really acknowledging um, barriers and not feeling them. And this is because of partly because of the way that I was brought up and partly because of, you know, access that I had to music as a kid. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, and your classical performances 
uh, often have a twist or something different, like the drag orchestra with Thorgy, or you've got an upcoming Bhangra and classical symphony fusion. Um, I feel like in our culture, classical music is something very specific and very traditional. Why is it important for you to change that? Right. I don't, so I don't actually know if I'd agree. I think that's the perception that we are traditional and stodgy. And I would say like 40% of the stuff that we do is traditional. Mm-hmm. And then the other 60%, it's like, look at any orchestra roster and they're doing, you know, Star Wars with, right. with film, Home Alone, they're doing all this, all this different stuff, Cirque du Soleil with orchestra. Yeah. So part of what I'm doing, I think that might be a little bit different is, you know, having a, like bhangra music mm-hmm. with orchestra. Okay, that's different. Reggae with orchestra, that's different. But if you, we're, we're all working really hard in the industry right now to, um, and it's not just me, to really have interesting, innovative programs that will change the way people are coming to the symphony or, or meeting orchestral music. Um, that's that's really important to all of us across mm-hmm. industry, across North America right now. So yeah, I think that it is changing. And I would challenge people to look at their local orchestra, like wherever they are, and see what's on the roster for the entire year. And you will see diversity there. You will see um, different sorts of programs. You will be surprised. You will be surprised. And yeah, some of the work I'm doing is hopefully surprising as well, too. But all of us are on the same page across Canada and uh, North America. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. I Last summer, I actually went to the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra's um, production of Ratatouille it was like they were playing Ratatouille over or they were playing their live symphony or over uh the Ratatouille movie screening in the background which was yeah yeah exactly Exactly. so you'd say you'd say classical music culture is kind of changing more broadly yes I would say so yeah we're just incorporating more things we're just Mm -hmm. incorporating much more than we ever have before um I guess uh are there any other inspiring classical music performers that you think are putting a spin? I know you're saying this is like a, a broader shift that's happening, but yeah, who else is putting uh, like queer classical music on the map that you know of? Um, Edwin Outwater is the previous conductor of the Kitchener Waterloo Symphony that existed in Ontario. And, um, you know, that symphony orchestra, they lost, it, it's interesting, if we love orchestral music and we love music and we love having uh, all these musicians in our community that do just not only symphony music, but also so many different types of music and enrich the community through education and programs for young people and, and some of the stuff that I'm doing, we really have to support them. After, after the pandemic, the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony lost the majority of its subscription subscribers, and that made it incredibly hard for that orchestra to continue. Anyways, they're no longer with us, but the music director, Edwin Outwater, is one of my mentors and one of my really great inspirations. He's in San Francisco. He's all over the world, BBC proms, um, all over North America, conducting these incredible concerts. He was the first conductor to do a drag concert. I was the first in Canada, but he's the first conductor in the world that I know of to do a drag concert with orchestra, and his programs are just phenomenal. So Edwin Outwater is uh, somebody that I really look up to in the industry that's creating really incredible programs. For example, S&M with Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony, he was the conductor for that. Very cool. So, yeah, there are lots of us that are doing our best to do innovative, captivating work. Um, In your, speaking of queer uh, conductors, composers, in your talk last night, you were kind of alluding to, uh, I guess, theories of of classical composers where... Uh, like people theorize that they were queer. Would you say there's kind of a relationship between 
queerness and like classical symphony music. I guess I'm also thinking of Tar that was kind of bringing queer classical music on the map. Right. I don't. I haven't seen Tar yet. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. I haven't seen Tar yet because everybody tells me that it's really realistic, and I feel like I work all day, and I just want to watch a horror movie at night. Yeah. Fair. Like something oh my God. Like That's so funny. predictable and where I feel control. So <laughs> I haven't watched Tar yet. That's um, hilarious. I don't know that. You know, it's it's funny. I I I wouldn't be able to establish a relationship between queerness and orchestral music necessarily. Um, there are been many really inspiring queer performers. Leonard Bernstein, uh, his movie Maestro came out. He was a queer performer. Um, he had many different uh, varieties of relationship throughout his life. So I think that those of us who are uh, in the industry and who have been in the historic industry, it definitely we see queerness popping up through composers, through producers, through dancers, actors. It's a place where queerness has um, been, I think, more accepted in other places in society. Totally. So it has been... Um, a safer place, perhaps, than than others, mm-hmm. for sure, for those of us who are part of the twist LGBTQIA plus community. Awesome. Um, you mentioned in your presentation last night that in the orchestra world, you're often the only black person in the room, and that there are a lot of stereotypes of what genres black musicians are kind of like, confined to. Can you talk a bit about the impact of that experience on your work? Sure. Um, I've always usually been the only black person in the room and sometimes if there are black people in the audience it's because there are people that i invited you know, it's like my mom is there so mm-hmm. um it's been really nice with ensemble Viera to be able to perform with other people who have had a similar experience right and ensemble Viera is not all you know it's it's everybody they live the quebecois um there are you know people of asian descent there are Everybody is part of the ensemble, and that's part of the celebration, the joy of it. So in terms of informing our work, being the only black person in the room, it's been nice to perform music like the reggae concert that I had with the National Arts Centre Orchestra, um, to have you know people from the reggae community come out and enjoy the music. And we're hoping that when the Toronto Symphony Orchestra takes the Bhangra concert to Brampton, which has a really wonderful, vibrant Indian community, that we'll be supported there, and that we're, we'll be performing that, um, well, not that we'll be supported, but we'll be supporting them. Right, but performing music that that community knows and loves, and and I've I've tried to do my best research to find out like what are the big hit songs that everyone's going to love in bunker music, and hopefully when we play them, people will go, you know, the crowd will go wild. That's what we're mm-hmm. hoping for, awesome. right? So I'd say that that's uh, that experience of being the only black person in the room, which has not always been negative. I would say I'm just kind of used to it right. and hasn't been negative, right? Um, that um, that has helped me just appreciate still uh when i'm not the only black person in the room Mm -hmm. and i don't think it it doesn't make it appreciable like once you get to you know making the actual music i don't know that it makes an appreciable difference right it's like say i was the first you know black pilot for air canada right okay well when the airplane's you know 30 meters off the runway at uh at the at the airport you know it doesn't the the race the race isn't isn't an issue. It's like, can you land the plane? Can you do the job? Right? So we're all here together. But then afterwards, it's a celebration, this feeling, okay, we're doing something here. So we're doing something that's different, that's special. Right? And when you come and hear the music, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is high quality. It's a a high quality ensemble, right? Players are top notch. Mm -hmm. So when you come and hear the music, you'll be like, oh, wow, this is really, this is serious music making. Mm -hmm. Right? And then there's this other added element of the fact that, you know, they're trying to do something new and they are doing something new and beautiful and wonderful for the community for bringing people together in a different way and highlighting some of the um 
yeah, some some of the uh, the new ways in which we can come together. For sure. Um, and you grew up as a Christian queer kid in Alberta. You touched yep. on this a little bit last night, but what role does spirituality play in your art today? Um, well, you know, I, <laughs> that's uh, probably the subject for another documentary. <laughs> it's fairly, it's a fairly intense question. Yeah, um, for sure. And also, and also, like, I'm kind of a like, I'm kind of a private like person. So the spirituality part of it is, you know, it's especially having come through such a ringer with it, coming from a, a, a spiritual background that was not inclusive of to us LGBTQIA+. Um, and then to transition out of it, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like talking about a divorce a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And people always ask, well, what was that like? It's, like, it's, really, it's really hard to discuss. Sure. And it's something that takes years and years to kind of reckon with, I think. So I would say that like, like, spirituality versus religion in my life. It's, it's popular to talk about spirituality, da, 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 but not religion. But I was more like of a religious person. Yes. It's like, you know, tell me the prayers to say, tell me the time to do it, and I will, like, do it. I was more, I'm more regimented and structured rather than just, like, you know, yes. you know, uh, prayers going up all, all times of day and stuff like that. Um, I've definitely kept some of it, and I've definitely, I think, like, I think it's still very important to me. Um, but in terms of, like, the actual structure, like, the content is there, but the actual structure, sorry, the form, mm-hmm. The, 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 con- sorry, the content is still there, but the form in which it takes has changed dramatically and necessarily, right, in order to accommodate the reality of myself as a queer person, right? That, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. So there's been some morphing, there's been some fighting, some war and turmoil, but I mean, when you read spiritual letters of, you know, the great spiritual masters from different traditions, there is always this sort of a battle, right, um, when it comes to spirituality and integration to one's life. So in terms of my career in music and stuff like that, I don't know, ask me in another 10 years. Yes. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, nice. be, I'll be able to know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I hope that answers some of it. It's not Absolutely. a clear answer because it's not a really clear situation, I of guess. Of yeah. No, thank you so much for that. And we're going to wrap up pretty soon here. But yeah, uh, maybe talk about your show tomorrow and the Ensemble au Bureau and what, sure. you, what you've got planned. Sure. Well, the show is about influences, and we have uh, music that, that comes from different influences. First of all, we have like Argentinian tangos, right, by Brigado and Piazzolla, and that's the influence of the dance on the music and the dance on the composer. We you know the Piazzolla loved the tango, and he actually got in trouble for mixing the tango with orchestral Western music and Western instruments. People thought that he shouldn't do that. They were purists. They said, you can't do tango with the orchestra. That's, that's wrong. And they didn't say in quite those words. They were much more violent and vehement about it. And now he's one of the greats, right? So his fusion of tango and orchestra proved immensely successful. His, the influence of tango on his music is indelible. In then we have um, Danuk Gujaratne, who's a Sri Lankan-Canadian-born composer. And he is, uh, his piece is called Polyphonic Lively, and he takes, in, in a very, very imaginative and, and inventive way, um, just the sounds of his of his music, uh, the sounds of, I didn't want to say the sounds of Sri Lanka, because you wouldn't necessarily know if I wasn't telling you, right? You'd just be like, wow, this is an incredibly vibrant, evocative piece. Um, he takes that and puts that into his music. So he's influenced by his culture, and he takes that to heart. And you hear it in this incredible sounds of Polyphonic Lively. And then we have Elgar's Enigma Variations, which is about the influences of essentially love, 
I would say, but not this close to Valentine's Day, a romantic love uh, at the fore, but the love of friendship, which is not often a love that is celebrated as much as, you know, running through the fields with the big I love you. Um, This piece is about his friends and the people that supported him. And uh, there's a particular movement, Nimrod, which everybody loves, the slow movement, which has been performed so many times because it's so gorgeous. that is about a friend who supported him during a very, very rough time in his life. So the influences of his friends led to the creation of this piece. And we're so thrilled that we'll round up the program called Influences. Amazing. Thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on the show. It's been such a joy talking to you. Um, and I'm really glad to have learned about your work. Yeah, you're, you're, really, you're really doing amazing stuff out there. Thank you so much. It's been great to be part of the show today.